Today we are uh, continuing in our After Eden series. Um, this series has been all about relationships and how relationships have uh, evolved since the Garden of Eden. And for those of you not familiar with the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden is where there was a guy called Adam and there was a guy called Eve, and they lived in the, in, in the garden, they were naked, they had a great time, and then suddenly one day it all just came crashing down, and they realized how naked they were. Um, and then we've seen from that, we've seen lots of different uh, relationships that, that fell and, and went into problems and situations, uh, marriage relationships broke down. Family relationships broke down, mother, uh, daughter, mother, son, father, son, father, daughter, relationships broke down, siblings relationships broke down, and then friends broke down, and everything like that happened. Well, last week, uh, what we discussed, we started looking at the marriage relationship. And if you're not married uh, here, then don't worry, because uh, one day you may be married, or the principles that we learned and we started last week uh, really apply to any relationship. And what we discovered last week, we discovered that because Adam and Eve sinned against God and disobeyed God, God sent a curse upon Adam and Eve. And the curse was this, that, that from that moment on, all women, well, I shouldn't say all women because that's really bad, so women, sorry. But women will try to control men. But the curse is that men will actually control women. So you controlling guys, you're like under a curse. And women who want to control their men, you're under a curse. And then the other curse was that for men, they will start to hate their jobs. I mean, come on, let's be honest, guys. Uh, who likes their job? I mean, you know, no, only a few, few do. And uh, If I was like a golfer, I think I would like my job. But apart from that, I don't know. But not many people like their jobs. And that is the curse because Adam sinned against God. And then uh, following that, there was a breakdown of relationships and everything. So we discovered last week how, to, uh, h- how we can cope in a marriage relationship after Eden. After all these curses that God has put on people. And so we, decide, we, dis- we discovered that God has intended that two people... A man and a woman should come together and they should form one being or one person. And we also discussed that there's lots of people and they're married but they live totally different lives. They have different dreams, different passions, different friends. And they're not really doing what God intended marriage to be. And marriage was to come together, two people to come to be one. And i got to say, I gave a Spice Girls reference last week. And I got a lot of like, grief for it. And uh, I think I lost my man card. And, but I don't care because the Spice Girls were cool at one point. And, but not anymore. But anyway, so two became one. And then we discovered, we started looking at some of the principles. And God says that, that people should submit to one another. And, and it tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to submit to one another. And the way that women submit is through believing in their husbands. And believing in their spouse. Because the Bible tells us that, that for women, they are to submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. How do we submit to Christ? By believing in Christ. And so for a woman, and it goes for a guy as well, but especially for women, women believe in your husbands. Believe in, 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 in those people in your lives. And it goes with our friends as well. We should be believing in people. So we discussed that last week. Well, we're going to continue on this week. And we've got two more principles that we're going to discuss this week. 
And the first principle is found in Ephesians chapter, or sorry, the second principle is found in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we see a passage that has been taken out of context so much in in history. People think that they read this and they think that women should just uh, basically be good little housewives and submit to their men and submit to whatever their men says. And it's, it, and it's almost like the men get off and, uh, and, and the men don't have anything, any responsibility. But when we look at this scripture that we're going to look at, we're going to see that men actually have more responsibility in the marriage relationship than women do. And, and this is what it says. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, it said, well, let's start at verse 21. It says, further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we are to submit to each other. And then in verse 25, it says, for husbands, this means, so the way that husbands submit to their, uh, submit is for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So Jesus did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands, so guys listen to this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. And let's be honest, guys, we kind of love our own bodies. I mean, it could be, we could look like Jabba the Hutt, and we kind of still look in the mirror and try to like, you know, like, try to flex our muscles and stuff. It says, wives should love, oh, husbands should love their wives just as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is the great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. I think my battery is going, so we're going to get one in a minute. But basically, so what we see here, we see that the Apostle Paul lays down how a husband should treat his wife. Now, I don't believe he's just talking to husbands. I think he's talking to all of us. This is how we should treat each other. But he centers on the relationship between husband and wife. Okay, let's change this thing. Sorry, people. Okay, so basically, this is what I see in this passage when we look at this. You know, one of the characteristics that we look for in life is reliability. If you buy a car, you see, you, you look at that car and it may look wonderful and great, but the number one question that you have, it's not like whether it's got this big subwoofer in the back or it's got like 24-inch tires or, you know, it's, it, it just looks the bomb. The number one question that you have is, is this car reliable? You know, if you're buying a computer or a TV or a refrigerator, you want to know if something is reliable. 
Because we, we want things in life that are going to last. We look for things that we don't have to worry about whether they're going to break down on us. We want to know that things are going to hold up to what they say they're going to do. And you know, when it comes to people, the number one characteristic I look for in somebody. So whether it was before I got married, you know, in a girl, or when I actually got married, this is what I look for in my wife. When I look, when I look at people like in the church, you know, in, in positions, in volunteer positions, whatever in life, this is the number one thing I look for in people. Are those people committed? Are those people committed? Is this person a committed person? I ask myself, are they a flake or are they committed? And I must admit, when I was like 18 and I was dating girls, I was a flake. I was not committed at all. But now it's going to change around where I realize that commitment is one of the most important things that we can portray in life. And I also think that God looks for this characteristic in people as well. And I believe within the marriage, the institution of marriage, or in relationships in general, commitment is huge. If a couple are not committed to each other, then their marriage won't last. It can't last. If you're not committed, it can't last. But I ask you today, how committed are you to those relationships in your lives? Let me just center on the marriage relationship for the moment. For those of you who are married today, how committed are you to your marriage? I'm sure most of us who are married would say, I'm really committed. I mean, I'm in this for life. I am committed to this marriage. But let me, sh- let me throw a, a, a wrench in the works. Would you still be committed to that marriage or that relationship if there was infidelity? Would you be committed to that marriage or that relationship If that person let you down time and time and time again. Would you be committed to that relationship or that marriage if suddenly you woke up one day and you felt that you just don't love that person anymore? Would you be committed to that relationship? Now, I've changed the question now because you're thinking, "Mm, I'm not sure. And I know when we got married, uh, Raquel and myself had this, this long discussion. What would happen if one of us cheated on the other person? I mean, we just had this, I mean, why would we even discuss that? I don't know. But we discussed it. And this is what I said. I said, I would stay with you, honey, whatever. You know, I'm like, you, I, I just love you. No matter what you do, I would love you. And thinking, she, you know, I'm getting bonus points. And she turned around and she goes, if you cheat on me, I'm leaving. I'm like, I'm out the door. And, you know, we ask these ourselves our questions sometimes. But I ask you today, how committed are you to those relationships? I want to read a little story to you. And it's not story time or anything, but I really found this, uh, this story good. It's all about Abraham Lincoln. The story goes like this. It said, Abraham's Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd, was hardly the type of woman with whom one could enjoy a quiet evening. She was, in fact, a woman of intense impulses and tremendous temper. Lincoln called her the first aggressively brilliant feminine character or creature who had ever crossed his path. Shortly after the wedding, Mary became discontent with her house, telling Lincoln that everybody who was quality in life or in society lived in a two-story house. They lived in a one-story house. 
Lincoln listened to the idea of her saying that she wanted to build another story on top of her house. But he didn't approve the funds, and he didn't agree. So rather than prolong the debate, as many wives of her day would have done, Mary Todd simply waited until Lincoln had left town on business for several weeks. Then she contracted a carpenter to add another story to her home. As the years passed by, Lincoln learned patience in other ways. Mary's bouts of temper made retaining hired help extremely difficult. That was the day when they had maids and things like that. Lincoln responded by giving the girls an extra weekly dollar. After one particular forceful eruption between Mary and a maid, Lincoln quietly patted the girl on the shoulder and said, Stay with her, Maria. Stay with her. When a salesman called called on the White House and was treated to Mary's fervid verbal abuse, he marched right up to the Oval Office, because in those days you could do that. You didn't have like gates and policemen and snipers on the roof. He marched right up to the Oval Office and he said, and he complained, sorry, to President Lincoln about how the First Lady had treated him. Lincoln listened calmly and then stood gently and said, You can endure for 15 minutes what I've endured for 15 years. Lincoln suffered numerous indignities at the hands of his wife. From Mary's publicly throwing coffee in his face, I'm like, it'd be all over at that point, coffee in the face, to her prolific spending. In those days, presidents weren't quite as well off as they are today, but Mary went on bizarre spending binges. During one stretch, buying hundreds of pairs of gloves. When the Lincolns lost Willie, Mary's favorite son, the ensuing grief began to crack Mrs. Lincoln's fragile psyche. It became more and more difficult for her to control her emotions. At that time, Lincoln did not help matters uh, himself either. Once, he even led his wife to the window, pointed to a lunatic asylum, and said, Woman, do you see that large white building in the hill yonder? Try and control your grief, or it will drive you mad, and we will have to send you there. I'm like, I'm sure that evening went well. It was in the aftermath of this tremendous grief, losing her son, and distraction of watching his wife fall apart, that Lincoln was called upon to give a speech. And this speech would mark his greatness. It was called the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln suffered through marriage. But Lincoln said that the suffering of his marriage made him a better president. And he even said this. He said that I am a man of my words. And what would it represent to the people if he went back on his words? He had made a commitment And he would stand by that decision no matter how ugly life became. Lincoln had an awful marriage. A bad, bad marriage. And history will show that it was just, I mean, it was a nightmare. But this is what Lincoln said. Lincoln said that I have committed myself to this woman. And no matter how bad life gets, how ugly life gets, I'm standing by my commitment. You know, there's a book out there. For those of you, if you want help with marriage, it is hands down the best book of marriage I have ever, ever read. And it's called Sacred Marriage by a guy called Gary Thomas. It's not easy reading, I'll tell you that. 
Sometimes you're like cringing and you're reading it. You're like, really? Come on. But it is a great book. And this is what he said. This is a quote from his book. He said, one of the cruelest and most self-condemning remarks I've ever heard is that one, uh, is that of one man that often you, uh, what, uh, a remark that one man often uses when he leaves their wives for another woman. The truth is, I've never loved you. This is meant to be an attack on the wife. Saying, in effect, the truth is, I've never found you lovable. But in the Christian context, it is a confession of a man's utter failure to be a Christian. If he hasn't loved his wife, it is not his wife's fault, but his. Jesus calls us to love even the unlovable. Even our enemies. So a man who says, I've never loved you, is a man who is saying essentially this. I've never acted like a Christian. Like, wow, that's some pretty strong words. I've never acted like a Christian. So here we see in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that men or husbands, they are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. I mean, think about this for a moment. Just as Christ loves the church, each and every one of you, just as Christ loves you, Christ died for the church. Christ is patient with the church. You know, Christ forgives the church. When the church turned their back on Christ, Christ doesn't go elsewhere. He remains. Christ doesn't leave. Christ doesn't shout. Christ doesn't make crude comments. Christ isn't just sitting in front of the TV and blank his wife out. Christ doesn't go running to his mom when things are all bad. Christ is committed to the church. When the church doesn't speak to him for months, Christ remains. When the church puts other things above Christ, he doesn't go looking for other people. To give him more attention. Because Christ loves you. And the Bible is telling us. If you are in a marriage relationship. And I'll go forward. For other relationships as well. If you are in those relationships. Then you are to love those people. As Christ loved the church. That means you must be committed. To those relationships. Because Christ is committed to you. And I honestly think that. Paul wrote this. To men. Because I think us men have the hardest time in the world when we don't get attention. Now, this may not be enlightening to you ladies, but us guys, we love attention. We can be quiet guys, but we love attention. I remember when I first got married, I would walk in the room, like I'd walk into Raquel's office, we worked in the same place, and she was always like really busy. And, uh, and, and I'd walk in, and she wouldn't even lift her head and acknowledge me. It drove me crazy. And like most guys, most guys probably won't say anything because happy life, happy wife, right? I mean, that's what guys say. So that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, well, if I say anything, it's going to cause a problem. And for months and months, she wouldn't say anything. And it was driving me crazy. And in the end, I said, look at me. I'm like, look at me. Stop what you're doing. She's like, what? What's the issue? And I explained the issue and she suddenly started to realize, oh, okay. I'm like, it wasn't as bad as I thought. But I realize that guys need attention. And so I think that 
Paul wrote this to guys because guys need that attention. So when the kids get more attention, or the house gets more attention, or their job gets more attention, or Facebook gets more attention, guys just can't handle it. And so this is what guys do. When they don't get attention, they start looking around for someone who will give them attention. But yet we're to treat our wives as Christ treats the church. He doesn't look around trying to find someone else who will give him attention. He is committed to you. Gary Thomas said this. He said, one of the reasons I'm determined to keep my marriage together is not, is, is not because doing so will make me happier. Although I believe it will. Not because I want my kids to have a secure home. Although I desire that too. Not because it would tear me up to see my wife to have to start over again. Although it would. Says this, the first reason I keep my marriage together is because it is my Christian duty. If my life is based on proclaiming God's message to this world, I don't want to do anything that would challenge that message. And how can I proclaim reconciliation when I seek dissolution? You know, there's no greater thing a man can do than say to his wife, I'm committed to you, and actually then be committed to her. This is what Matthew chapter 5 and verse 34 says. It says, But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes I will, or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Jesus is saying, just say a simple, yes I will, or no, I won't. If you make a word to somebody, keep that word. Don't go against that word. Be committed to that word. Be committed to that person. And when trouble comes into your marriage, never ask yourself, what am I allowed to do? Always ask yourself, what does Christ want me to do? i got a good friend who, marriage went through a breakup. Wife had committed infidelity. They'd been going through some issues beforehand. And I was trying to help him. And, and really, when you, I got that phone call that day, I didn't know what to say when he told me all, all, all what had happened. But all I remember him saying, well, the Bible says that, you know, I can divorce this woman now because she, is, she has had an affair and she's committed infidelity. I said, yeah, the Bible allows you to do that. But is that really what you should be doing? And he couldn't get away from the fact that now it was his chance out. Out of this relationship that was just was causing him grief and causing him pain. Now he had a chance out because now he believed that biblically he could get out of this marriage. But when I read Ephesians chapter 5, and I see that we are to treat our wives as Christ treats the church. When problems happen, when... When situations come on, do we just get up and leave? Yeah, there are some times when a marriage has to end. But that is not the norm. That is the exception. 
So are you committed to your marriage? The, 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 the last thing I, w- I want to share with you today, the uh, last principle in marriage, is the principle of trust. The principle of trust. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, it says this. Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. So he says that, give honor to marriage and remain faithful in marriage. One of the hardest things someone can ask another person is for them to trust them again if they've already broken that trust. I don't know about you, but trust is pretty easy to gain. You can gain trust from someone pretty easily. But if you break that trust, trying to get that trust a second time is almost impossible. It takes a long, long time to do that. And I ask myself sometimes, why do so many marriages fail after infidelity? And I think it's because it's so hard to regain trust. The marriage is without trust is like two people on the opposite sides of the Grand Canyon. One on this side, one on this side. And they're trying to have a conversation with each other. They can't hear each other. The gap is just way too big. And when trust has been lost, that's the case. There is a reason, I believe, the Bible tells us that man and woman are to be joined together and they become one. Because a marriage with a third wheel is a marriage that's going to break. And the first thing that normally breaks when a third wheel comes in is trust. In all you do in your marriage, in all you do in your relationships, full stop, whether they're with relationships with friends or with children or with parents or with other family members, in all you do in your relationships, do all you can in your power never to break trust. From the life-shattering affair to the simple things of doing what you say that you are going to do. You know, especially for guys, and I can, do, I can say this because I'm a guy. We will say that we will do something. Our wives will maybe ask us to do something. Or we'll say we'll do it. We'll do the dishes. We'll do the laundry. We'll do that project in the garage that we're working on. We'll put that extra addition on our house. I don't know. I mean, we come up, we have all these projects. And we say that we'll do them. But the majority of us guys, we never get around doing them. Or we have to be asked two times or three times or four times. Do you know what that's doing? The more that someone has to ask you to do something when you've already said that you're going to do it, that is breaking trust. Trust is breaking down. And so all do all you can in your marriage to preserve that trust. Trust is the most valuable thing in your marriage after Jesus Christ. And so all you do all you can to preserve trust. Keep your word and stay in trust. You know, staying in trust isn't about just about ha- playing happy families. If you keep someone's trust, it's also helping you spiritually as well. In John two chapter, sorry, First uh, John two chapter five, it tells us there. It says that that if we are truly faithful to God's word, then we are being perfected to become more like Christ, or to perfected to live more like Christ. And it's the same in our marriages, in our relationships. If we keep that trust. Of each other, we are being perfected to become more and more like Christ. 
You know, if you've ever broken someone's trust, or someone's broken your trust, the road back is long and it's hard, but it is possible. For in the same way that when you've sinned and you've broken God's trust, so we must behave like God, behave like Christ, to bring people back into your trust. You know, trust is a gift that you have been given. And every day, our goal should be this, to treasure that trust and keep that trust. If every day you wake up and, and, and you have this goal in mind that I'm going to keep the trust that people have given me, then your relationships in your life are going to be a lot happier than breaking that trust. So for the last two weeks, we've centered on the marriage relationship. We've looked at marriages need to believe in one another, commit to one another, and trust in one another. However, these principles also work in all relationships as well. And you may say, Alex, I mean, let's be honest, you haven't really gone deep because this is obvious stuff. We know that all marriages need to believe in one another, commit to one another, and trust in one another. And yes, it is obvious. And the reason it's obvious is because marriage isn't hard. Relationships are not hard, but we make them hard. This is why, because we become so self-focused. And that creates a problem. Just as God cursed the woman to try to control the man, so we have that approach to our lives. We want to control everything in our lives. Everything we do, we try to control. And the problem is when it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to to our friends, we can't control all those things. We found out in the last two weeks that man was cursed and he lost his purpose. And we see when you read Adam and you read the men that followed, you, you see that they start becoming very defensive about everything. They find everything like a, an insult and they become defensive. They become irrational that every negative comment that is told. And being a guy, I know, it's, you know, if someone says something negative to you, you get defensive straight away. That's all part of the curse. Women become so frustrated at becoming controlled by men. And that is why a man must show to his wife, or a man must show to that women that they are committed to them. Not just committed to their wishes, not just committed to, 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 their, to their passions and desires, but also tell the lady, tell the woman that they are committed to their desires and their passions. We've also discovered that trust must be fought for at all times. Keeping trust is a daily battle. The bottom line of all this is when it comes to relationships. And we'll discuss in a few, uh, next week, in the coming weeks, we'll discuss about children and parents, and we'll discuss about friends and co-workers. But in those close relationships that we have, the bottom line is this. It is the fact of becoming more like Christ. And the more like Him we become, the easier our relationships become. You know, in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm taking a wedding. And I met with a couple this last week, uh, just to go over all the details. And there's a scripture that they're, they're, they're going to have read at their wedding. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And last year, I did six weddings last year. Um, and out of those six weddings, five of those weddings read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
And for those of you who don't know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, it's this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. And so on. But what I see when I read that, because we're, it's all about love, so we think it's a great thing at a wedding to say it. But what I see is when I start reading 1 Corinthians 13, I start to see that they are starting to say love is showing the attributes of Jesus Christ. And there's another scripture. And as we close today, if you want to turn to this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says there, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. And I believe this is the the characteristics of Christ. And this is what Christ wants us to produce in our lives. He says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these there is no law. You know, when we have a me-focused life, There's great damage that's done. When we live in our flesh and we start abiding by the lusts of our flesh, the Bible tells us that things like sexual immorality, there's, there's quarreling and there's arguing and there's anger and there's all these different things that are just going to destroy our lives. But when we start living a life for God, we start producing things in our lives that are going to not just benefit us but benefit others. Benefit our our spouse or benefit our friends. And those are things like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And when we start living these things, we start living the characteristics of Christ. And if we start living with these fruits and producing these fruits, our relationships will become so much better, so much easier. And so much more trouble for it. So I've got a question for you today. When you get up in the morning, when you get up tomorrow morning, when you think about your relationships in your life, are you loving more than you did yesterday? Are you being more faithful than you were yesterday? Do you have more joy in those relationships than you did yesterday? Are you more gentle and meek in those relationships as you were yesterday? Do you have more self-control in those relationships than you did yesterday? This should be a daily ask of ours because if we become more like Christ, then our marriages and our relationships become so much better and so much easier. You know, your marriage and relationships have the ability to shape your spiritual relationship with God. Allow them to shape you to become more like Him. And, and then your life will become so much 
far with so much more joy, with so much more hope. So we've seen today that we must, or we've seen over the last two weeks, we must love each other or submit to each other just as we submit to Christ, believing in Christ. We must be committed to each other as Christ is committed to us. That means we don't walk away. We fight. And then we must keep our trust. And it's a daily battle to keep our trust. One last quote from Gary Thomas in Sacred Marriage. He said this. Christianity does not direct us to focus on finding the right person. It calls us to become the right person. And for those of you who aren't married today, and you're looking for a mate, you're looking for companionship, you're looking for a spouse, you're just looking for the hot girl next door, you know, whatever. Christianity isn't about finding the right person. It's about becoming more like Christ. Because this is what's going to happen. If you don't become more like Christ, you're going to find that person. And then you're going to get in that relationship. And you'll be in that marriage. And that marriage is going to kill you. You're going to hate it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to start living for yourself. And what we discovered living for yourself... You start producing things that are going to destroy a marriage. But if you get your life with God right, when then you find that person, then life becomes heavenly. And I said it last week. My dad told me before I got married, he said, make sure you're marrying the right woman. He said, because if you're marrying the right, right, right woman, it's going to be heaven on earth. But if you marry the wrong woman, you'll be like in a prison for the rest of your life. And it's all about just becoming more like Christ. And I've been married for seven years, so there's some of you here, you've been married a whole lot longer than me, and you have a whole lot more knowledge than I do. But what I've discovered in seven years is this. Marriage is all about giving myself away to my wife. It's not about me. It's about her. And then she has the same thing. She believes it's not about her. It's about me. And when we start doing that, we become so selfless. And life just becomes so much easier, so much better. And marriage and relationships just become heaven on earth. Let's pray.